Hello and welcome to Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. If you're on social media, follow us on Twitter at 814next. Like our page on Facebook. Feel free to comment on both platforms. Lend your voice to the dialogue. For those that are listening on radio, thank you so much for tuning in. So today, if you are watching, you've noticed a new look. So we want to thank the team for that. I've got two very special guests on today that will help me unpack uh, the local elections and some of the uh, happenings around the country in the political arena. Uh, we've got Jim Wirtz, Jim, uh, Democratic Chair, uh, the Chair of the Democratic Party locally. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be back. All right. And we've got Jezri Friend. Jezri, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Marcus. Appreciate right. you having me. So with Jezri, I had the, the privilege of moderating alongside of him the uh, Mike Kelly debate um, when he ran against Ron D. Nicola, Mercyhurst College great time got a chance to get to know him a little bit brilliant guy so i'm excited that he's on uh jim we've actually had on the show before to discuss political issues i've listened to jim before on other channels uh just breaking down things about politics so not just as he he isn't just a democratic party chair he's he's a very bright guy and i've enjoyed listening to him and so we wanted to just bring both of these guys on and analyze everything that's gone on in this last political race there's a lot going on in erie and um, whether you're talking about the fight for the community college and, you know, everything going on ec- economically from opportunity zones to LERDA and the list goes on. The school district is fighting for its uh, financial solvency, big turnover on the school board, lots going on. Uh, Jim, let's start with you with voter turnout. Give me your thoughts on voter turnout. Sure. Well, uh, countywide, we were looking at 295 percent. Uh, voter turnout. It's uh, obviously disappointing from uh, from a, a political perspective to see engagement that low. Uh, it, it's actually not outside of the norm for um, for these municipal election cycles. Uh, what some people refer to as off years. We mm-hmm. in, in political circles don't ever refer to any year as an off year. Um, but uh, but it, it is it is disconcerting in, in many ways. And and there I think are, are a lot of reasons for that. I think uh, you know folks uh, have a lot of. Uh, uh, personal responsibilities that get in the way f- uh, from getting them to the polls and, and a lot of distractions that keep them mm-hmm. from thinking about the political process and how it impacts their day-to-day life. Um, and so uh, we try to reach out uh, throughout the year. We're always, uh, both parties are always registering voters and doing uh, uh, voter engagement and outreach and trying to mobilize folks who are registered but inactive and trying to engage new folks to get out there and vote. Um, certainly in midterm years like last year and uh, and in presidential years like the one coming up, turnout tends to be uh, higher, um, but it's still down from what it was maybe 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's a it's a trend that we need uh, collectively to work to try to correct. Why do you think the numbers continually go down when it comes to voter turnout? Well, I think there's a there's a lot of folks who are just uh, really kind of disgusted with the process uh, from what they see uh, at the national level, and so they disengage. Um, there's also a lot of folks who feel like the political process doesn't really represent them or, or has not benefited them all that well. Um, and so historically, you know, at the local level, historically, whether you're talking about the old Tammany Hall system in New York City or whether you're talking about City Hall in, in Erie, PA, mm-hmm. um, I think there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of 
benefit uh, to being politically engaged because there was kind of that that big machine system where there were a lot of jobs connected to your political support and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And that just simply doesn't exist anymore. So folks, uh, folks are lacking some of that personal motivation um, and they're failing to see how the decisions that are being made in these local elections and the decisions being made by local uh, local legislators are affecting their day to day when, in fact, it's just as important as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So we had this debate at Mercyhurst University. I've actually spoken there on several occasions in several different classes. It's always fascinating to see how on fire our college students are for the political process. And something seems to happen as they, you know, trans transitions out of college into the real world, if you will. So, you know, Jesri, when it comes to this whole subject of community engagement mm-hmm. and voter turnout, things along those lines, give me your assessment of uh, the low numbers, this trend that Jim is talking about. Well, sure. Uh, Jim's not wrong. He's right on that. Lower right. The interesting thing about the way that some people refer to, and I agree, I don't like to call them the off-year elections. They're all elections. They're all on-year elections. We all have the opportunity and the privilege uh, and, and the right to elect those who we want to represent, whether it's school board, municipal. There's a lot of – there was um, several very heated supervisor races mm-hmm. locally. These are the things that affect your day-to-day way more than a president ever will mm. or a congressman or a governor. And, yeah, it does play, and those things are extremely important, and you can't belittle that. But you know, those on your county council, those who are on your school board that control your taxes, that has the most effect on your day-to-day. That's the thing I think people – Miss, mm-hmm. you touched on some of the on some of the races. Uh, give me your assessment of the races that you think were very critical and key this time around. Oh, there are so many, and we could probably do the whole hour on just that. But <laughs> I know we want to talk about national things. We want to talk about twenty twenty. Uh, locally, some interesting things to point out, and then I think some of it uh, we can use later to transition to the, the stuff that we can predict in the future. Here, the county. We'll start with county council. Um, interesting to note there. The only there was a plus one R pickup on the council, and mm-hmm. that was previous Kyle Faust seat out in the northeast, mm-hmm. Harbor Creek, Wesleyville. I think that dipped into Green Township a little bit. Uh, district he ran for two uh, seats, both county controller as well as that. I think maybe that may have been part of the reason that you know people felt it was maybe disingenuous. Can I plug it? Can, let sure. me say this real quick before you get started, before you finish that thought for the listeners and the viewers. Um, Jesri tends to vote conservative. I do. Okay. And so every time we, <laughs> there we go. I've made a Caveat. dedication, I am not touching the subject of politics unless I have multiple viewpoints, especially when we are talking about the president, because that's the first thing people go after. You brought people on who all saw it the same way. We don't want to do that here at WQLN. So you can finish your thought. I wanted to make sure. And I'll be sure to that. correct him when he's done. <laughs> Jim and I couldn't be more different other than we, we can have civil conversation with each other. And I don't actually hate him at the end. <laughs> uh, I, I think maybe that's a difference. And, and let that be a setting when I am so, ugh, people get it together. Like, right. so these are disagree. your neighbors. At the end of the day, we have to live with each other. We're going to see each other in the store later on. You know, we might see each other at a at a mutual friend's uh, Christmas party down the yeah. road. You're actually one of my neighbors. We can't afford to fight. Uh, there it is. <laughs> Just found out this summer. <laughs> going on the neighborhood yard sale. Marcus lives on my same block. Well, and I think to to, to that point is that, that people locally get so hung up in mm-hmm. what the national narrative is and yeah. what they're seeing on cable news and the vitriol at the national mm-hmm. level, um, and they let it seep into these community conversations mm-hmm. when, in fact, we have so much uh, more in common and so much more at risk uh, in, in 
fighting uh, in infighting with one another here locally um, when we uh, when we should be talking about the best way to move the community forward. Agree. Couldn't agree more. And, and a good example. And so that's my caveat. Yes, I do tend to be a little more conservative than than the average bear, maybe in the middle of the road. However, um, being a political activist myself and, and doing the due diligence of helping those candidates that I believe in and going to door to door. And you say one of the first questions I often get is before you get it out and maybe I'm, I'm uh, helping out a, a person running for judge, which apolitical. Right. I, I personally don't think they should have an R or D in front of their name. Uh, on the ballot at well, all. Well, they all cross file for that they, reason. And they all do cross file mm-hmm. for that very reason because it is not a, a non-political position. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> First thing you get, what party is that? What party is that individual? Right. Well, this has to do with, uh, they're going to make rulings on domestic disputes, on family care, on mm-hmm. things like that. What, do they support the president? I honestly don't know what they did in the privacy of their elect, you know. And so we have this kind of thing to what Jim was saying is that this national spillover in the local, well, these are the things that affect us. Mm-hmm. Whether or not, whether he likes ice cream with, you know, chocolate syrup or strawberry syrup, it makes no difference on what he's going to make a, a, a judgment ruling. Um, I'm going to I'm going to pull us back to the to kind of the, the county council conversation. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I got Kyle Foss. That's OK. <laughs> no, it, and it's an important conversation to have. And I do think that we could do an entire show just mm-hmm. on that community civility and, and what right. that means. Um, but I think in terms of this last election, a lot of people made uh, made a point to say that they thought that uh, that Kyle Faust, who was running for county controller and, and won that race, although it's, mm-hmm. it's actually being recounted as we're sitting right. here uh, talking. Right. Uh, but but he has Very a 53 uh, vote lead in that race, and it looks like there are no votes hiding anywhere. So I don't I don't see that changing by the end of the day today. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did lose uh, his race to retain his county council seat, mm-hmm. which he would have then had to uh, vacate to assume the county controller's seat. So it's kind of a complicated matrix, but mm-hmm. I think some voters did react to that and say, Absolutely. well, we're going to vote we're going to vote uh, for him for one of these seats, but we're not going to vote for him for both of them because then the decision for his council seat if he wins both uh, is going to fall back on county council to make an, an appointment. appointment. Um, but I would also say that there were some some factors within his district that contributed to the loss of the council seat as well, which were a very competitive uh, supervisors race, which mm-hmm. uh, was down to just 150 votes uh, approximately at the end of the day. 140, just over 200, I think. Well, I think it was less than that. It was, was it? A, I think 140 something. Yeah, and then uh, and then there was a, a real fight uh, that's still ongoing in uh, in Wattsburg Green Township, uh, where district. the school where the school board um, had uh, had refinanced some bonds in order to put new turf uh, on the uh, on the athletic fields, and uh, and there were a lot of folks who turned out in that race as part of a writing campaign. Mm -hmm. And so voter turnout in that district in particular was much higher than normal um, and aired toward change, right? These were folks who were coming in and were, were voting against the system and against incumbents and and working for uh, writing candidates in that school board race. So they were very, very motivated. Um, And I think that all of that tied together in the loss of that council seat. But as the, you know, as the chairman of the Democratic Party, I can I can assure you that we'll be be coming back to collect uh, in four years. And and that's fine. Um, But what's interesting, I think you made a good point when you talk about the Wattsburg School District. What is amazing, this is why I love the political process. This is one of the things that made me, as, as a younger person, even younger than I am now, fall in love with you guys. The, there is so much power in your vote. You could really make change. The yep. Wattsburg School, and there, this was true of, of little pockets all over Erie County. Like, yes, the big, if you will, ticket, 
with the exception of the statewide judicial races, was the county judicial and then the controllers. There's only two state countywide ones. But there was these little pockets where you had Mill Creek had the supervisor's race. We, we touched on the Harbor Creek one. Wattsburg School Board, get this. These folks out in Wattsburg School District, so upset with the ruling of a school board decision, it was inside of a week. Inside of a week, they organized a writing campaign and successfully took people off, off school board. That's how influential your vote is. Mm-hmm. That's how there's strength in numbers. And that's why your vote actually does matter. And there was actually a couple other examples. Uh, Albion. Okay, I grew up out in West County. I actually went to Northwestern High School out that way. I grew up in Springfield and Girard. And um, Albion Borough, if you guys have been following the news there, has been quite – had a lot of turmoil for some time. And there's some issue with – uh, one of my old former right. neighbor, though, mm-hmm. old police uh, officers out in Albion. And then, you know, I mean, there's been some crazy decisions made by the borough, but they start buying an old Dollar General building and it just crazy. So these guys completely got up in arms and the whole town was running for in the primaries mm-hmm. to, to unseat these guys. Um, so what I bring that up to say was there was a lot of voter engagement out in the well, Albion and, area and, and as well. Albion, primarily because of the the dismantling of the police department, there was a huge uh, a huge write-in campaign out yes. there as well. And a, a young man, a recent uh, Gannon graduate by the name of William Driver, um, yes. almost won his I write-in bid for mm-hmm. Albion Council. Mm-hmm. I think he I think he lost by maybe less than twenty votes or something uh, on a writing campaign. Now he had been on the ballot in the primary for county yes. council yes. in District 7. Um, so he was interested in, and mobilized and kind of already had a, a small infrastructure in West County going. Um, but this issue motivated him to continue to move toward his local council. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and really, I mean, I think the, where we saw uh, high volumes of writing candidates throughout the counties in these smaller municipalities is really, uh, um, is really encouraging, I think, in terms of uh, of voter turnout and uh, and the democratic process. I think that one of the things that makes me think about uh, the necessity of people staying engaged, go back to the judges race for a minute. Yeah. So you've got the uh, endorsements of the Bar Association that oh, yeah. comes in. Yep. And then, you know, one of the commercials that I saw for a candidate showed that candidate's uh, courtroom experience versus the other two. Mm-hmm. Huge difference. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. And I'm saying to myself, well, where's the disconnect? If there's that big of a difference, regardless of who you plan to vote to, where's the disconnect? And then obviously people vote and we get the two candidates that we get, which was Ridge and Connolly. Mm-hmm. But to me, that was an example of you need to inspect for yourself, come yeah. out, make your voices heard, because there, there just seemed to be a huge gap between those two, you know, uh, facts alone. That's right. Yeah. So it, it all comes down to messaging a good political consultant that is worth their salt and be able to convey the right, you know, different information. So it was interesting with her was she touted this, well, I had the most courtroom experience, right? And, and by all parts, yes, because that's the nature of her job is to physically be in the courtroom, whereas both Dave Ridge and Ed Smith uh, both had very varied law practices that included everything from court litigation to family law to, and both of them. It's interesting that both Dave's, uh, Dave Ridge and Ed Smith were very parallel in, in a lot of senses, mm-hmm. uh, both in their experience. Uh, and Mr. Smith touted 35 years. Dave Ridge touted 34. Um, pretty close there. They both received highly recommended endorsements from the Erie County Bar Association. I want to note that's how interesting that is. That hasn't happened in 15 years. Mm-hmm. There's been, and so think of all the judges who've come and lost since then. There's been other judges who's received a recommended uh, rating. However, the highly recommended, very sought after, very difficult to obtain. Um, those two received it and had not been in 15 years. So now, this is an interesting scenario. We have that. Now, that rating is given by Erie County lawyers, judges, those who are part of the Erie County Bar. Mm-hmm. 
what's also interesting, these are people who've opposed them in court. They're not just their friends. I mean, it's hard to get that many people. So you have people who said, hey, I respect this person's credibility and their ability to handle themselves in, in a courtroom. They're very competent. Mm-hmm. I think, I think though, from a, from a community stance, that the, or community standpoint, that some people see the Bar Association as uh, a, an insider's club, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so um, those folks making that decision, it's very much kind of a, they see it as a popularity contest. The Erie Times News referred to it as a dubious endorsement. Dubious. Uh, I, and, I saw that, and, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't disagree more. I mean, can you imagine a situation where Let's say you're at the doctor, right? And you have a foot issue. And this doctor who you trust, your family doctor, he goes, hey, um, I'm not really good with left feet. That's not my niche. Guy I know out of the Cleveland Clinic, he is the best in this, you know, greater couple state area with left feet. You need to take – you're going to take his word for him and be like, this guy is a professional who understands the medical field. I'm going to take his recommendation for it because he understands this. Mm. Right? I, That's you, how I see the bar association ring. I see. I think disagree. No, no, no. Yeah, I don't. I don't. No, way. I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I was. I was chuckling at your analogy. I like it. I, <laughs> I love a good analogy. Your, your, your analogies always uh, always get me going. But I, I have. Uh, <laughs> I, I I like. Uh, I do think that there is a place for organizations like the bar association, mm-hmm. just as there is a place for political parties. There's plenty of people sure. out there who say that political parties shouldn't get involved. In, mm-hmm. in in the selection of candidates in the primary process and mm. all these things. And I go, well, sure. well it, it's kind of the job not only of the parties but of organizations like the Bar Association to help vet candidates um, so that the community – because the community is generally uh, low information, right? Mm-hmm. They, they are busy. They have a lot of responsibilities in their day-to-day and don't all have the time or the resources to go and do that deep dive on candidates to make those informed decisions. So they count on that's these – That's part other, of the education they, process they, and they is count the bar on these, That's sure. right. They, they count on these other organizations. But I think that there is uh, some truth in the fact that that the the Bar Association uh, is or may be, maybe I'll say may be, biased toward uh, folks who are exclusively prosecutors or are, 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 are exclusively uh, on one side of, uh, of the law, whereas you have a, a, a general practitioner who, who is involved in a number of different kinds of of uh, of legal cases and legal arguments, sure. and so uh, so I think that that as far as the distinction of being a, a dubious recommendation, I think that's where they're coming from when they say like mm-hmm. that maybe she's not getting maybe Aaron Connolly was getting <coughs> short shrift um, because all of her experience was on the prosecutor side, mm-hmm. and I think the most important thing to remember is that at the end of the day, uh, the the voters uh, sure. agreed that she was qualified to serve in that role. Let me ask a question. Let's let's segue to City Council real quick. Michael Keyes got the most votes out of the candidates put forth. New guy, no political positions in the past. The other two candidates, they've been around for a while. Does that say anything, or does it just happen to be something that happened this time around? I think the I think the the community uh, a, a segment of the community at least uh, is is in search of um, new talent and some new faces. I think that that uh, the demographics lean toward folks electing older candidates and people that that they already know and mm-hmm. they're familiar with. And I think particularly when you're talking about the city races because the the wards are so lopsided in the fifth and sixth ward, it's hard for new people to get. Uh, elected on those spots. Mike Keyes has been on the ballot once before, and I'll be honest, as the uh, and I think uh, I think any Republican would agree with me too. Mike Keyes worked his butt off in in this campaign. Uh, he was out hitting doors 
every single day and kind of campaigning as if he wasn't sure if he was if he was going to win mm-hmm. uh, in in what really comes down to a three way race in the city of uh, in the city of Erie for just three seats. So I think he he approached it the right way, and that was why uh, why the turnout was so in his favor against these two folks mm-hmm. who are, are 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 better known. Um, I think uh, I think Mel is very uh, very comfortable in his spot and i think that uh that that he campaigned like somebody who was very comfortable in his spot <laughs> and i think and, and that's not and i and i don't say that i don't say that in a, in a negative way necessarily but to say that you know I, when you walk in and you see a sign across a strong vincent bridge there on sixth street uh c- where uh the city comes together with frontier right mel witherspoon was the was the president of the uh city council when that bridge was erected in 1996 and he's still here right he's so still here, yeah. i think i I think that that speaks volumes. And again, we have this lopsided, uh, lopsided population and demographic uh, piece in the fifth and sixth wards in the city of Erie, where the not only the the number of registered voters, but the number of people who live in those two wards is about three times, three to four times greater than any other ward in the city of Erie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why for uh, the last, I don't know. 20, 30 years, the majority of members of city council have come out of the fifth ward. And that's why the sixth ward is so influential in electing uh, the mayor. Uh, and so the, there are some of these historical issues uh, involved in local uh, politics and local electoral politics um, that I think we need to continue to unpack over the next few years. And what's so interesting about that is that you talk about candidates that have been around for a while. You know, Harkins got the most votes of all the school board elected. Yeah. Or, you know, candidates. And he was literally, he is in the cover of my yearbook when I graduated yeah. in 1988. Yeah. Wow. He's been there for a minute. Well, and, and remember that when he was elected the first time to Erie City School Board, he was the youngest candidate ever to be elected to Erie City crazy? School Board. Uh, and I, and so he's been there for a long time. And I think, I, I think one, he continues to get reelected because he does a, a good job on the Erie City School Board. And number two, um, I think he has stayed there because he's committed um, to trying to to help and lead the the school district, mm-hmm. kind of through the the difficult the difficulties that it's had over the I, last. I want to tee one up for you. I want to tee one up for okay. you. Go ahead, real quick, but then I want to tee a question up for right. you. I I was going to finish my response with the county thing, but I'm going to we'll, we'll stay on where we're at now, and I'll, I'll very briefly say I, I find an, a very mixed result. We talked about Michael Keys, um, definitely a go getter guy, put in the work. I agree, um, but it's so interesting. I think he is an example of. Uh, Erie City voters looking for that change candidate, someone new and fresh. But then you provide two interesting uh, examples in, you know, Mr. Witherspoon as well as Mr. Harkins, both <clears throat> probably establishments, probably the wrong and maybe not fair word to use, but however, have been there uh, since as long as I've been breathing air, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it just goes to show, yet it, it seems Erie is on this. We've talked about this in other in kind of other contexts, even outside the political context, that they're ready for change, right? There's, mm-hmm. We all feel the energy. There's new things happening. We're on the verge of something big if we do the right thing, but we need the new leaders to kind of bring us in. But yet there is – it shows, it proves that there is just this, this faction in Erie that just doesn't want the change and is holding on to maybe the ways of old. Mm. Um, and, and I don't mean that as a shot directly to them. I know them both personally. I'm just saying it's interesting how they are. They have been the top vote getters. They consistently get the most votes. And to your point, comfortable campaigning, I think, was the word you used. But I agree. I didn't see as much effort from um, his usual kind of structure out there because they felt they were safe. They felt they didn't have to continually to earn the vote. 
and they just kind of, I, I felt there was a little bit of a sit back there, whereas these others who are hungrier to do something, they're ready to make the difference in the community, we're out there getting it. Um, Holly Bowers was one on the school board I saw. She put an impressive campaign she for worked. us. She knocked on tons of doors, but here you have a situation where if you have, and this goes back to the school board thing, we talk about the R&D difference you know, on, on places like this where political affiliations really have no place uh, in being where you have someone like that who had made the right decisions or in it for the right reasons. However, she is at such a huge registration disadvantage. disadvantage because of the semantical letter in front of her name and nothing to do with the competency of her efforts, mm. right? Uh, and so um, case in point, <clears throat> we could, it segues into kind of voter turnout questions, and, and I'll get back to your tee up. I do appreciate that, Marcus, was um, in the case of a countywide election, um, straight ticket voting, this is kind of a topic we kind of segue into another thing as well, that's going to be gone next year. Mm -hmm. um, there was a deal that came down. Governor Wolf signed it. Uh, come 20, uh, it really surprised me he did this before a presidential election, actually, because I've, now I've heard arguments on both sides where some of the Democrats think, oh, this is going to favor us. Some of the Republicans think that it's going to favor them. So I'm actually surprised to hear infighting on both sides on this. Mm -hmm. um, being a Republican, usually voter in Erie County, I am encouraged by this. If you are a Republican trying to run in a countywide race in Erie County, it is darn near impossible at times. However, there is sentiment there. The Democrat registration advantage is about 26,000 advantage. They start out at that. Now, now talk about the straight ticket poolers. For instance, in the case of a countywide race, there was, it was just under, it was, where's my number there, about 1,800, so just under 2,000. If you are in R running, you have a disadvantage of 2,000 votes just by the straight ticket pools. If you take the straight ticket Ds, straight ticket Rs, subtract them, you're already in the whole 2,000 that you have to earn the rest of those, right? Mm -hmm. So an interesting comparison is what I did is I, I broke down some of the numbers just kind of looking at them. For example, we'll take the, we were talking about the Aaron Connolly and, and Ed Smith race and um, looking at the votes in Mill Creek. If you take Aaron's votes and you take Ed's votes and you figure out what the straight ticket pool in Mill Creek was, subtract the D votes from her, the R votes from Ed, and see what the actual, what I would call the earn votes are. Because these are free thinking voters who were educated in their vote. Mm -hmm. There's actually only a difference of 41. She actually only beat him in Mill Creek by 41 votes where the Democrats had a huge advantage and he came out uh, quite a bit in the hole. So he actually made up, it was, I figured it was just over 400 votes he made up uh, against the um, straight pull disadvantage. So I'm looking forward to that being gone. There's an interesting thing we were talking, and this goes back to the first point, we're talking about the off-season voter. Mm -hmm. um, this is... Real uh, quick, because I want Jim to respond to what yeah, you just said. That was this interesting. is low turnout. So low turnout actually means high educated, right? When you have higher turnout, that's actually um, in a place where you don't enjoy a registration advantage like a Republican a Republican would rather have a lower turnout because that means a higher educated voter. Interesting. Um, because when you have lower turnout, it becomes an economy of scale situation where if there's just a sample of numbers, the ratio is going to favor the Democrats because there's more Ds, mm. right? Let so me, let me let me jump in on that because it. because I think that the the voter registration conversation uh, in and of itself is somewhat dubious, uh, if I may, because mm -hmm. because we, we get rid of that word. We, well, because we have we have a we do have a, a a tremendous voter registration advantage, but the majority of that advantage are inactive voters, and so uh, of the voter registration numbers that have been uh, released in the paper recently, and if you look at the 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 number of registered voters in Erie County, Democrats have uh, about 
I think it's actually thirty six thousand more, uh, or near near thirty thousand more anyway, uh, and about Even twenty thousand, and about twenty thousand of them are inactive uh, voters. Those are people who who haven't voted in in four or more election cycles. So um, so we don't really know where those people are. Same with Republicans. If you take out the inactive voters from Democrat and Republicans, um, the voter registration advantage comes down to about ten thousand, and I would argue that that ten thousand uh, vote swing uh, are folks who are registered Democrat because that's where so many of the primary races are, but actually lean a little bit more conservative. And that's why we're seeing um, some of these really close elections in our in our local races for uh, for supervisor, for council. Sure. Uh, and and even ca- uh, county executive last year was uh, was only uh, or in 17 in 17 was only uh, 300 and some votes. So so we're, we're seeing very narrow votes in Erie County. So the, the conversation about voter registration advantage um, may have some validity in the city, but countywide, I don't think is as strong as it, as it once was. I would go as far as to say that's more reflective of the times, and this is kind of more of a national, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, and I'm sorry, Marcus, we, Neo, you're fine. we, we got past it, but I, I would venture to say, uh, given you're right, look at this great advantage, you've broke it down to 10,000, and yet these votes oftentimes are very close. You look at the county controller, 50-some votes, holy cow. Um, I would say that's more reflective of changing... Uh, Almost, almost a change in the ideology of what is the Democrat Party. They have changed, I, I think, largely, and you'll probably disagree with me, but there's been factions created between this really left progressive wing, uh, traditional Democrats, and what Democrats want Democrats to be, right? Um, what they used to be, the, quote, working man's party has kind of, I, I've talked to many, I've, shoot, half our family is in what would you consider the you know private sector unions, but and they're the largest political donors to campaigns, uh, to Democrat can- candidates. However, it seems like they're there for the, the the check. And then past that, a lot of them have felt, and you, you may disagree with it, but this is what I've heard from personal interactions, a lot of them feel they have uh, discarded them. Um, and so here's the thing, is I hate to use like the walk away, but at the same time, it, it is reflective because then what, where else would those numbers be coming from? So many Ds have actually, it, um, the numbers break down in Erie County that more Ds Jump their uh, vote, their uh, party ticket to vote for the R, then R's jump over for D's countywide. Well, that's that voter registration advantage that I was talking about that that is kind of a fallacy uh, in Erie County. And so, so we go out and we engage, uh, we engage folks on uh, a regular basis trying to talk about the breadth of issues. Part of the complication of being a Democrat anywhere is that we are a big tent party and we cover a variety of issues. We are not uh, narrowly defined, nor are we ideologically uh, narrow as the Republican party is so it's easier for people to fit in there i would also say i would also say that 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 I would argue that we have more people making independent decisions in Erie County about where they vote, and it's not about a particular uh, allegiance. Although I think that by and large, most people, when you talk to them about specific issues, do come down on the Democratic side of things. The national narrative that Jesri is carrying out here about the the Democratic Party moving in too liberal of a direction um, does not bear out in polling. Certainly, that is the that is uh, where the media has placed its attention, and it is certainly where the conservative media wants to place its attention to make the American uh, 
voter to make the American people believe that the Democratic Party has somehow been uh, been taken over by this radical left wing faction, when in fact that is not the case. There was just a, a study put out last year called Hidden Tribes. It was widely publicized, um, and and they break down the factions of uh, in American politics. And it was one of the broadest surveys that I've ever seen. It was over eight thousand uh, over eight thousand respondents to this survey, uh, and what it showed was that. On the liberal end of the spectrum, there's about eight percent of the uh, of registered voters who actually fall into that far left category, and there are about six percent of people who fall into this far right conservative category. And then you have about twenty percent of the people next to them on either part of the ideological spectrum who are high information voters who are highly engaged. These are the party activists. These are people like me and Jesri, right? So he would be out here in this twenty percent on the right. I'd be out here on this twenty percent on the left. And then there's there's about 50% of the people who fall squarely in, in the, the middle, middle and and make decisions based on uh, on where they're at in their personal lives and on distinct personal beliefs they have about each individual issue. So whatever issue it is that motivates them to get to the poll and the candidate that speaks to them on that issue, that's where they're making their decision. It makes it harder for people like people like me who, who drive a partisan game as, mm-hmm. as part of their day-to-day, but it's also somewhat uh, consoling, I think, when we think about the future of the electoral pro- process. What we need to do is take the vitriol and the extremism out of the conversation because I don't think it's an actuality. You're listening to Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. We are live in studio with Jezri Friend and Jim Wirtz. We are talking about local political elections and the results. Uh, Jezri happens to vote Republican and it views himself as a conservative for the most part. I won't say for the most part. He's a conservative. I am a conservative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jim is the party chair of the Democratic Party here locally. And uh, you started talking about national politics. So let's go there for a minute. I know, Jezri, you hinted at or talked about just the extreme nature of the Democratic Party on a national level. Oh, sure. And what people are seeing. And then obviously for a lot of people, they feel like that the the president, who's a Republican, is very extreme in many of the things that he's doing. Extreme politics, is that the theme going forward now? Because it seems like the norm has been thrown thrown out the window. So very interesting. So I'll just quickly kind of tie into what Dr. Wirtz was saying into this answer is that, yes, I 100% agree with your study. Yeah, the, the outliers are on either ends. The majority of us are somewhere over here, 50% in the middle. That's absolutely true. But here it is. It's a squeakiest wheel gets the attention situation is, yes, you may – not think that the progressive far left movement is driving the political agenda, but they are getting the most attention. So they may not drive it. However, here we are. And the only policy that I've seen nationally been put forth, well, not the only, I should say that's not fair. Um, but the big ones that get the most attention are things like the Green New Deal, which call for things like complete elimination of fossil fuels. And I mean, it's, it's, and it's almost absurd. every Democrat in the Senate has rejected it, including PA Senator Bob Casey, who came in and said, and said, I can't vote for this. He said, I can vote for pieces of the Green New Deal, right? Individually, I can get I can get behind the, the workforce piece of it. I can get behind this. I can get behind that. I can get behind the environmental mm-hmm. piece, but I can't get behind it as an umbrella package. And the low end because for- because it is a because it, we are a moderate country by and large, despite the fact that mm-hmm. we continue to be polarized in each of these conversations. And therein lies the problem, I think, both with the DNC and with the RNC, is both sides, right? Here I am saying both sides have a communication issue. I think largely this moves into the national narrative of where Republicans failed to capitalize in the midterms. And him and uh, Jim and I both sat on a panel we talked about at Edinburgh University about this very thing. Um, my big uh, advice is, is the communication component is, is lacking. Um, and I think that's also then, if given his 
predisposition here on this. It's the same thing is you may say, oh, most of them are against this. That's not what people hear. That's not how people are perceiving it. And perception is reality. Um, you've mentioned the same thing. A, a very well done commercial becomes your one's reality. That's the purpose of it. So, and that's the purpose of it. So whether most of the Democrat Party at large don't agree with the Green New Deal, what's the perceived reality in the public in that middle road is how it is. And, and I should be clear that, that Democrats do uh, agree on climate change and science and all of the things that are encompassed within the Green New Deal. But I think as a, as a package, thinking about it in terms of something, the scope and scale of mm-hmm. the Green New Deal, there are a lot of people who approach that more cautiously. So let's stay with your idea of what we your thought about perception the perception of the of the republican party is that they in many ways have kind of sold their souls in the name of party because in, in a lot of ways just based on personal interaction from people that even from a lot of people to vote republican traditionally here you have a president for all intents and purposes that many people feel is a bad representative of what it means to be the president of the united states has dis- displayed um behavior that is unbecoming of a president locally and abroad, and the list goes on. So in terms of perception, has the Republican Party kind of sold out their typical American values in the name of wanting to keep power? Oh, my gosh. I think it's incredibly unfair. Um, Sold out their values couldn't be further from the truth. If you look at what the president's done, it is actually, uh, if you think about the conservative base, I don't, the president has, uh, President Trump has done more for the conservative values, if you will, than President Bush did. Look at the very reason, and this is to my uh, enjoyment and to Professor Wirtz's frustration, I would imagine, is look at the federal appointees. My gosh, as a very conservative-minded individual who, who values things like uh, pro-life, um, who values things of the conservative movement, he has put in line, as he said he would, all these things that, that back up all those more than, more than past presidents have. Things like that motivate me all to get out. I don't need President Trump to be my buddy. I don't need him to be my spiritual advisor. I have a pastor. He's very great. I go to him for spiritual needs when, when, as it arises. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't need him to be my friend. I need him to fix the wrongs. And here's an interesting thing. My day-to-day job, I have a lot of interaction with the business community, by, and I'm not here to wear that hat, that little disclaimer. However... These uh, manufacturers, uh, business owners, and those who do a lot with the exporting are being train railed by unfair trade practices, by all this unfair advantage these other countries have that the international community, imagine this is even a global conversation, the international community refuses or fails to hold these other countries accountable. He has come and he said he would do it, and then he's done it. I am working on a piece, an article with uh, a member right now on a piece, I'm also a staff writer on policy, on how these policies have helped their operations. Um, And I know the tax cuts gets a lot of it's such, again, perception becomes reality, except the media on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act could not be farther from the truth. Uh, there's a guy here, and I'll leave his name out of it. He's a manufacturer in Fairview. Because of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, he was able to buy a new piece of equipment. He hired a new person to run that piece of equipment. And then he gave all of his employees raises. This is not a large manufacturing company. The guy employs about 20 people. So when people say, 
Oh, there's another one in Lake City. There had so many downstream orders that was a, a direct result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. They were a first shift operation. They have now expanded their operations. They now have a whole second shift. My friend from church worked there. He's now a foreman on second shift. So those people who are saying, ah, oh, this didn't affect me. It was only the man, the big guy. How about that middle-class guy mm. like my buddy who was now promoted to foreman, got a sizable raise. Yeah. He's loving this. So these couple, no, I, and, and I'll, uh, I will concede, I mean, that, there, the I will concede that there are a couple of anecdotal, uh, a couple of anecdotal wins for, for the, uh, the economy in, in these uh, small businesses. But by and large, um, what we've seen is a, is a, a, a greater hypocrisy from uh, the Republican Party where we have at least two generations, if not more, of, of Republican establishment uh, elected officials and activists who have spent their lifetimes fighting for family values and free markets only to support a president who is a market-manipulating philander who doesn't represent a single thing uh, that they have fought for the last you name it, 60, 70, 100 years. And so now we have a president. They're willing to trade the courts for the country, right? They're willing to trade the country downstream to get a couple of judges on there that are going to represent a single issue for them. And we are trading away American democracy hand over fist day after day. And it, and the, and this president, you you want to talk about what the president has done in market manipulation and trade policy. The the trade policy, the trade negotiation, as he calls it, that's go ongoing with China is killing the American farmer. It's putting the American farmer out of business. There is no market for the American. American farmer outside of our shores. And that has by and large been taken over by major corporate farming. Many businesses continue to struggle in this marketplace because they can't find, uh, they can't find a marketplace for their product. And moreover, the trade policies that this president has carried out have, uh, have fallen squarely on the back of the American consumer. You're paying more for your products. I'm paying more for my products. And, and people up and down the line are seeing greater reductions in smaller paychecks. These small wins that we're seeing in primarily uh, defense industries are not benefiting the American people uh, person by person. So I, I, I wholeheartedly disagree with just about all of that. Um, as, as I would expect. <laughs> but but how can how can we have a Republican Party who in 1996 attacked Bill Clinton for lying about an sure. affair and impeached Bill Clinton for lying about an affair? Uh, and, and now we stand by a president who not only not only. Uh, well, he doesn't lie about it. He's he's expressly said he can basically do whatever he wants. And it doesn't matter because all of his people will fall in line. And the, and every so member of the fair. every Republican I member of the Senate, this. every Republican member of the Senate has continued to fall in line behind a president who hasn't represented a single value that they've claimed to represent over the over the course mm -hmm. of their. Career. So it is. Let me, chime, let, me, let me chime in on that for a second, and because I want to be clear on this point. Not taking a side either way, what he just said was the reason that I asked the question. Sure. And even what you just unpacked a minute ago about you don't need him to be your friend, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so this country has put themselves on this pedestal of American values and all of these different things, and that was kind of my question. Gotcha. You know, interestingly enough, as the father of daughters, you know, when you look at his track record with women alone, and I'm thinking, okay, so where, where's the Me Too movement? Where's the, is this who we are? We've spent billions of dollars trying to educate our children on how not to bully 
being someone who's worked in youth development for years, and now we have the premier person in the country who displays all of the attributes and does everything that we tell the children of tomorrow not to do. And that is such a stark contrast that I've asked myself and others, like, talk to me about that. And what I found fascinating is that I hear a lot of what you just said, almost as if, well, that doesn't matter. You fix this stuff, doesn't matter what kind of example you are. And so that's what, when people say, has the Republican Party sold their souls, I think that's the point that they're touching on. He's the number one role model in this country. Like, it or, more, like, it, or like it or not. He gets more exposure than any other individual in this country. And 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 children see him every day. My daughters wake up every morning and turn on, uh, turn on the morning news and sit there and watch the morning news and have to ask me questions about the president's behavior. We shouldn't have to answer those questions for our children because he should be a model representative in this country. And they okay, did so, hold Bill Clinton to that standard, sure. right? So I, I think it's fair I, I get a chance to respond to both of you after, <laughs> after about five minutes. Not, give me 30 seconds here. Uh, only fair. Um, two things. One, interesting. It is interesting if you could, we can be objective and see how the dichotomy of change uh, in the party. And I, I'll agree how what was once, I mean, it is true, you could not run as a Republican 10 years ago and, God forbid, be divorced. Um, you would be thrown out the window because, oh, you, you don't represent those whatever. It, it, it's a changing of the times, I believe, more so. Not that those things don't matter, but we needed to find the roles again. Um, do I agree with his actions of being— But you, you know, want to sing- redefine the roles to, to oh be gosh. this president no, 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 as no, the no, model? No, 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 not at all. De- redefine what we're— All right, so is the role of president to be— I mean, one spiritual advisor to be one's the role of the president is. Is it a matter of being someone's spiritual advisor? Okay, Jesus, so, we're not talking about that standard. Gotcha, gotcha. But it's to control the country, right? Mm-hmm. It's the administrative things. It's the undoings. We don't like the the way in which he does it, right? Everyone has the beef of that's not the way we would do it, right? We would all do it different. And so here's the thing: is that is to the and not it's is a faction that is the appeal of a lot of people is the way in which and I think you even spoke about this when you did your bit at the Jefferson was the way in which he does it appeals to a base um, is that it's different than usual. People have supported him because they knew going into it he would not look like a Mitt Romney running the running the but country. But that doesn't but that doesn't change the intent or the effect of his action. Sure, it's not so about can, the way that it's so being have done. The, you have if the absolute right not to positive. like him because he does it in a different if way. If the That's, outcome was positive, and if the outcome was still something that our children could look at and go, yes, this guy was cha- a change maker, and this guy did it differently, but it was good for us and it was good for the country, then that would be a different scenario. But not only is it about his personal behavior and the way that that transcends into to American life and culture, but it is also now about national security as well. And that, to me, is a, is even a much bigger issue than the way that he carries himself so as an individual. So can, I ask this question, that... can I ask this question? Can I ask, so you look at President Obama, obviously being in your position, I'm sure there's a ton of things that President Obama did or stands for that you may disagree with. Sure. His, the fact that he was a dignified family man for eight years in office. Do you think that helped set the tone at all in this country? Do, in your opinion, did that matter for anything at all as president? Or was it is it a moot point to say he was a great example for our country? See, then it depends on what your example is. There's things like, for me, who I'm very motivated because of my Christian values, for things like pro-life. One of the very first things President mm-hmm. Obama did is not only was he very staunch anti-pro-life and, and protecting the lives of the unborn and giving them a voice, 
uh, one of the very first pieces of legislation he passed was actually funding to provide uh, um, abortions overseas. Mm. Not even in America. We, we spent U.S. dollars at Obama, is very, one of his very first acts, to give other countries access for abortions. And I know we can agree on whether it's women's... We well, can have a longer a conversation. conversation there. That's and, a tough and, conversation. But for me, when you said, like, what, what is it? It's a family man. Does a family man do that? So we have different how we define those, right? Mm. But, but you understanding. can't, you can't be me... pro-life and, 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 and anti-child. And the Republican Party oh has, gosh. by and large, restricted... Oh, I, I'm so glad re- you brought restri- that up. Yeah, please, go at it. Because, I I th- think, I th- because listen, you want to you talk about restricting access to people, and there was a bill in the House that ba- passed... The, that passed the the state house in Pennsylvania yesterday that that uh, requires people to deal with the uh, with the the. Uh, de- with, yeah, the, you're with their about, own with, right. with with the fetus after a medical after receiving a medical procedure and that that to me is not a decision that that a woman who who had to make that decision should then have to deal with that so is a, that is that is a that is a, a non-political a conversation I, I know say, we're going down I, a rabbit let me, hole let me say that let me say because i have debated i've been doing this show for three years i have debated 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 do we do a show on abortion because it is the most polarizing convert it's so polarizing when you put a room full of christians in the room Makes no and sense i wear a pastoral hat outside Absolutely. of here. sure you don't get one opinion when there's a room full of christians on abortion unfortunately Un- right so this is what a shame let's look at the let's look at the democratic let's look at the democratic primary i would uh, i want to but let me let me just back up and unpack that one one step further and say that, that the republican party has again for generations since its inception been about individual rights and liberties and the ability to 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 and and has fought to get government out of the lives sure. of people and now you take this most intimate personal decision that someone has to make and you mm-hmm. want to restrict that by government action that is that is so to me the greatest a, hypocrisy you can't have your cake and eat it too like you're picking one issue you're saying like oh see the government uh, republicans are for less government but look at this one thing they're against when uh, at the end of the day it becomes a religious thing for me because i'm going to i mean we're getting to a longer thing i'm going to stand before god almighty one day when i'm dead and he's going to say jezri what did you do with what Mm -hmm. i gave you and i'm going to say that is either going to be on my hands or it's not going to be on my hands and i can say with confidence unapologetically I, I feel comfortable then it should be with up that. to then it should be up to you to go so and educate and promote your and sure. promote your p- position absolutely but but not to interfere the governmental action in the lives of so of when well, it comes to, to life I will interfere 100 percent and now I just want to just real quickly because this is quick. a big misconception I, I promise I'll make this quick was oh you brought it up is this this unfair narrative that I have fought against to my dying breath and will continue to do so and thank you for giving me a platform was that, oh, well, Republicans don't care once they're born, then they just let them go because then we don't let state policies fund these things. I can tell you, I uh, am very involved in my church. I'm very involved in my church's food bank. Do you know how hard it is to get volunteers to help people? You run a volunteer-based agency, right? To help people, we are giving to the needy, and yet those people who will blast you on social media and be the social, you know, social media warriors will not come and give me two hours of their time once so a true. month so to true. go and help the That's underprivileged. True, up and down the line, it I is don't... it is the it is the Christian demographic by and large who are those who do who foster care. My sister in law is one of them. My grandmother had over sixty eight foster children. Okay, um, my sister in law has now done some around twenty some foster kids. It is by and large those who have a Christian persuasion who are conservative in nature and maybe have an R semantically next to their name who are those who are going past after their – oh, Republicans don't want to help them afterwards. Those are the ones who are helping them afterwards. I, so let me do I would this. disagree. I would disagree both that it is primarily 
Not people of, uh, of the Christian faith, and I would also disagree that the majority of Christians are Republican. I mean, mm-hmm. that is a that that's, is a, it's so a unfortunate, isn't so, it? So so let's let's move forward from that. You know, with the the question that's about changed. the president, the question about President Obama, your response, there was some validity to that. I almost regretted asking the question because I'm thinking, you know what, that there's a point to what he's saying, and this is actually a whole show. I think you answered the question yeah. on whether or not I want to do a show on this topic one day. I think we almost have to at least once because this topic of abortion deserves an hour alone. Going up, segueing into the finish line, the Democratic primary, give us your overall breakdown of what we're seeing from the candidates put forth. We talked earlier about two very traditional candidates. You know, in our own city, you've got Mm -hmm. two very old candidates in the Democratic uh, uh, primary. Talk about the, the the leaders, what you're seeing, the trends, overall breakdown. Well, we can tie it back to uh, to what Jezri said before about uh, the Democratic Party moving to the left. This narrative is perpetuated because Absolutely. two of the front runners are, are from the left wing of the the Democratic Party, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And I would say I would argue that they've gotten the most attention from the press because they are most vocal, which means that they are most well known in terms of polling and the ability to fundraise and their outreach. Um, but I would I would say that many people still consider Joe Biden uh, a front runner uh, in this race. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, who is uh, by by most accounts, a, a moderate, uh, is now leading the polls in Iowa. Sorry. And I wouldn't be surprised to, to see him win the Iowa caucuses. Wow. Um, uh, I, I'm happy to, to say that here. I don't know if I, I don't know if I, if Jezri and I, I don't know if Jezri and I would put money on this one, but uh, I would not, I would not do that. <laughs> but, but, but I, but I do think that he is, he's polling extremely well he's in polling. Iowa. Uh, his polls nationally are, are on the rise and he's raising money, um, in unprecedented fact, fashion for someone who is at as new to the national political process as he is. Um, uh, and so I think the, the we still have a long way to go um, in this uh, in this Democratic primary process. I think that uh, that the candidates we have on stage are all presenting uh, great ideas. They're not all that disparate. Certainly you have the, the Bernie uh, Sanders and Elizabeth Warren faction. Uh, you move into the more moderate factions of the, the Joe Bidens and the Pete Buttigieg's of the world. Um, and then there are some folks who aren't even uh, on the stage but are still in the conversation i keep hearing from uh from moderate republicans that they really like uh michael bennett and these kinds of folks Hmm. um who are the the more uh conservative uh kind of establishment democrats uh in the primary um ultimately voters will make this decision i think after the the four early state primaries uh iowa new hampshire south carolina and nevada we'll see uh we'll see things break apart a little bit and start sure. to coalesce around a single candidate. And by the time we get through Super Tuesday in early March, um, we'll be down to maybe uh, two or three uh, real serious uh, front runners uh, who will bring us into the uh, the Pennsylvania primary Prediction. in late April. Prediction before I throw it over to Jesuit? Any prediction? Uh, no, no prediction overall. No prediction. I, I would say I would say at this point I would be surprised. I would be surprised if there weren't four people uh, still hanging on strong after after uh, Super Tuesday. Got it. Uh, and and my guesses would be we'd be looking at at Biden, uh, Sanders, Warren, and Buttigieg as those four. There could be a, a sleeper in there, someone who is like uh, like Buttigieg, uh, polling nationally around five percent, who really takes off. But quite honestly, as the money flows, there's nobody uh, nobody who's doing as well as those four candidates, and I would expect them to continue to do well uh, heading through this primary process? So I'd be surprised to see, uh, it depends. I, I'm 
I'd really be surprised to see Joe Biden stick around after the, the initial four. I think he's done after that. He's pulling well, but he's not going to vote well. He continually puts his foot in his own mouth. Every time he speaks, it's, an Ameri- it's a Republican dream. The Democrats don't actually want him. And I think it's interesting how um, the Democrats cannot rally around a single candidate. They're still. I've asked many of my friends I, um, that of the Democrat persuasion, those are very involved, very educated, high, whatever. who do you like? They, no one wants to commit to anyone because – they just want that anti-Trump candidate. They don't care who it is. They just and obviously I think the Democratic Party is 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 unified, uh, you know, in in terms of well, wanting to, to defeat that. this president. No, well, I don't. Sure. I don't have to say this. I, I don't think we're going to see another division like we saw in 2016 uh, and and a split it depends comes on the out candidate. of this primary. I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters who the candidate is going to be because uh, because we are the the process is being handled differently. Uh, the candidates are treating the primary differently, and I think at the end of the day. Uh, the, this party is going to rally around uh, whomever uh, that nominee is. So internally, the DNC may be handling it differently, and that, and that very well may be true. They probably learned from their mistakes with it, with Hillary Clinton. However, uh, case in point, just this past week, what, two more, maybe three more candidates came out, which just shows there's still an appetite amongst the Democratic base for someone else. They've seen the candidates. They've come up wanting. They've come up short. Um, there's been yet to be that motivator. And I think I asked you the question, actually, back when you did your uh, speech there, who's that motivating candidate? I think the only could be – what I mean by motivating is to not only just turn the base out, but turn those fringe voters out for the Democrat Party. I think that would be Bernie Sanders. But what it's going to do is it's going to replace those moderate Democrats are never going to go for someone like that, and they can't. It was part of the reason uh, was some of the issues with the Hillary Clinton race. Um, and those who were the big Bernie uh, supporters um, had some animosity to the party – and for other reasons, I'm sure, and didn't come out and vote and just was a no vote. I think the block that we all ignore in this are our traditional unaffiliated voters, independent voters. And they make and, and they make yeah. up a, not only a sizable population of the of the American electorate uh, and and helped uh, move things in 2016 and will continue to, to move things, I think, back toward the Democratic Party in 2020. But they're also a sizable part of the electorate here in Erie County, where there are 18,000 active uh, independent voters. So what's interesting about the independent vote, as we're wrapping it up, is um, that is another example of how the support of what the mainstream Democrat Party has slowly started to shift away. And what I mean by that is if you look at generic ballot polling, uh, independents were traditionally plus 19 or yeah, plus 19 for the Democrat candidate, whoever it was in generic ballots, mm-hmm. that number from plus 19 from independents in favor of Democrats have now shifted to plus four. They've lost 15 points back down. So, yes, you're right. Independents tend to drift a little bit towards the D's, but in far less numbers than they used to. Well, and, 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 and Republic, so Republicans are fleeing the Republican Party for unaffiliated. They're not coming to the Democrats, but they're becoming registered independents. And we've seen that in 2019 in Erie County, and we're seeing it not only across the Commonwealth, but throughout but the country. But they'll but never across vote the country, for uh, dis- a socialist candidate. They just can't. But they're voting Democrat all across the country. We saw it in the Virginia House and Senate races. We saw it in the Kentucky governor's races, and we're going to see it and we're going to see it in 2020 in this presidential election. So what's interesting in the Kentucky governor's race is there's never traditionally, historically, quote me on this, there has not been uh, a Republican governor in Kentucky who's been reelected. It's never happened. So when everyone's talking, oh, this this big thing, Kentucky, you know, the Republican governor lost, it's ne- he's never been reelected. 
that's just a par for the course for history. So it, it's you can have a narrative, but you got to take it one step further. You must be educated. On this. You can't just take a buzzword that we hear on a mainstream media. We got to look into the numbers. It's here. a trend. You Same with Louisiana. It's a trend, and it's happening here across Pennsylvania as well. And we saw it. We saw it in several races. We saw it in the statewide races last year here in Pennsylvania, and we saw it this year. I think in the uh, in the. Superior court race too, which we split uh, one Democrat and one Republican. And I think uh, one thing that everybody talks yeah, about one, one thing we talk one thing we talk about in Erie County a lot is how Erie County is a bellwether for Pennsylvania. And if you've ever doubted that Erie County is a bellwether for Pennsylvania, look at that Superior Court race. Almost to a tenth of a percentage point, Point uh, Erie County lined up with the statewide uh, election. And what Doctor Wirtz is referring court. to there is the difference between Judge McCaffrey and now Superior Court Judge Megan King was 700 votes in Erie County alone. That was the D versus the R advantage, only 700. And you looked at statewide. So here's an interesting fact. Statewide, the D only had just less than 8,000 votes in a statewide race where over 1.5 million votes were cast. Less than 8,000. Mm. But Pennsylvania is very much in play in the 2020 elections. All four of them were less than 20,000 votes apart from How one fascinating. Mm. We need to do a whole other show, Marcus, just on breaking apart that election. <laughs> I had a bunch of numbers and statistics to go on that. Only you and I in a bar could talk about the Superior well, Court Let's go get another cup of coffee after this. <laughs> finish this. And so, gentlemen, this has been a very educational hour. It's been a very passionate hour. Thank you so much, Jim Wirtz. Uh, Wirtz, Jezri Friend for bringing your political views, your intellect to the table. I think we've all learned quite a bit. And for those that are listening and watching, we want to just encourage you to stay engaged with the process wherever you stand. Get educated, get involved. We want to thank our sponsors of Next in Perspective, Infinity Resources, the Erie County DA's office, our Benjamin Wiley Community Charter School. For Next, I'm Marcus Atkinson. We will see you all next time.